Well, you may be aware uh, that uh, Tom Church is uh, preaching um, these Sunday mornings when he is in the pulpit uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. You may also notice that he did not begin by preaching through the Beatitudes. You may not have noticed that, but some of us perhaps did. Um, In my own personal Bible reading, about two months or so ago, I I came across the Beatitudes in my normal reading plan, and I just couldn't move away from them. I I couldn't turn the page. Um, It it struck me as I read them again and again and again that they are simply perfect. Um, And I just said, we've got to do this on Sunday mornings. Uh, They describe um, godly living perhaps at their most challenging of of perhaps any other passage in Scripture. And we find that that it is impossible to believe, but necessary. Impossible to fully uh, practice, and yet necessary that we do so. And it is my sincere desire... Uh, that the Holy Spirit would use these Beatitudes that we'll be going over over the next six or so weeks, use these Beatitudes to change, to deepen um, the experience, the the obedience, the faith that each one of us has uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ and living, um, living obediently to Him. These are character shifting blessings that God gives us. And it's important also to have them well uh, in our minds. And so we're going to actually read the Beatitudes together uh, each one of these Sunday mornings, and we'll do that as they are uh, flashed up onto the screen in front of us. So let us read together the scripture for this morning and over the next several days. You may turn... uh, In your Bibles, the Pew Bibles, the ESV will be reading this morning, um, if they are not behind me. Let's let's, uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter uh, chapter 5, and we'll read, read those verses together. Just shout, Paul, if they appear behind me, would you? Let's, let's read the scripture together, beginning at the, beginning at, uh, I'll read verse 2, and then we'll read verses 3 through 11 together, 3 through 11 together. Let's do it. Okay. Um, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. 
Uh, these are uh, three points of uh, introduction before we begin with this patent, the attitude of the day. First of all, then, uh, the Beatitudes do take us into a very deep, a deeper understanding of God himself, of the gospel itself, and of we ourselves. We are brought into a deeper understanding of God because only in Jesus Christ is there the fulfillment of this vision. There is no room, if we are to be followers of God, there is no room for moralism. Uh, that is, putting on an outward shine in order to impress God and other people. Uh, the Holy Spirit is personally after not only your behavior and mine, but our hearts. So we see God on the move in these Beatitudes. We also get a good taste of the gospel. Uh, that is a, a, a buzzword for many, but let's describe it this way. The good news of all that God does for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that all God has done for us and will do for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never outgrow our need for the gospel. As one writer puts it, we never pass, uh, we never move past the gospel. We only go deeper into it. We don't leave it behind. We go deeper into it. We also see something of ourselves glaring in each of these beatitudes, and that is that we most desperately need to be delivered. We most desperately need to be rescued, not just once at the beginning of our lives. Not just once when we turn our lives and hearts over to the Lord Jesus, but throughout our lives we find ourselves in need of God's rescue. We easily overestimate what we can do and we grossly underestimate what God does through his grace. The Beatitudes take us into a deeper understanding of God, of the gospel, and of ourselves. We also see that these Beatitudes are not separate little moral platitudes that we're to follow, but they instead describe the life of the kingdom citizen in, in many different facets that are all connected. Unlike the gifts of the Spirit, where some might have the gift of hospitality, some might have the gift of teaching, and that's okay. You can have just one gift or another. You cannot slice up the Beatitudes like that. It is a description of the character of the kingdom citizen, and they are joined together. Let me just run through them quickly. You enter the kingdom by being poor in spirit, but that's also how you live in it. The comfort that everyone wants is through mourning or honest repentance before God. Having been forgiven, you are a gentle, meek person. And you are gentle with others because Jesus has been and is gentle with you. And as one who has now been joined to Christ, you have a growing hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God grants a sustainable joy through our pursuit of his righteousness. Receiving and giving mercy is a primary display of that righteousness that God is working in us. And living with a pure heart 
enables one to live at peace with others and to lead others into peace. But all of that, all of that righteous living leads us in the last case to the fact that we will face persecution. Righteous living will also produce the backlack of persecution. Righteous living will also produce the backlash of persecution. You should expect it. We see then the, the flow of the Beatitudes. They're not individual, tightly packaged, hermetically sealed. There is a flow and an organic quality to them. And we've already hinted at this, but thirdly, uh, these Beatitudes do not just describe how we get into the kingdom, but they are marks of those who are already in. Not a description of how we get into the kingdom, but marks of those who are already in. One writer who will go unnamed, but one writer divided up the Beatitudes like this. And he said, Beatitudes numbers one through four is how you get into the kingdom. Poor in spirit, um, uh, meek, mourning, uh, hungry for righteousness. That's how you get into the kingdom. And the last four is how you live in, live in the kingdom. John Stott, I think, has a far wiser way of looking at it, and that is that they're all eight about kingdom living. The first four, you might say, if you want to divide them up, the first four having to do with our attitude towards God, our posture towards God, and the last four having to do with our attitude or posture towards people, how the gospel uh, relates to then our, our, our relationships with other people. Let me put it this way. You enter the kingdom, and the kingdom enters you. And this life of the kingdom, then, is lived out before the world and for the glory of God. It's not how you get into the kingdom, but it is the marks of those who are already in. Well, let's take a look, then, at the first one, the poor in spirit. And just this first one today, the poor in spirit. I want to say two things about it. Um, the poor in spirit are marked by a, a, a sense, a reality, the, the realization that they are destitute. And secondly, that they are dependent. They are destitute and they are dependent. Now, let's sweep away what, what um, being poor of spirit is not. Uh, it is not a matter of having personal uh, low self-esteem. So, or sort of being down on yourself, perhaps comparing yourself to other people and seeing that you just don't measure up, and you're kind of depressed about it. It's not a feeling of worthlessness as you compare yourself to other people who are perhaps superior to you in many ways. You can have those negative feelings and still be proud because you want to be great and you want to be better. And because you're not getting that goal, you are depressed about it. That is not uh, being poor in spirit. Uh, it is not a matter of financial poverty. Luke's uh, beatitude number one says, blessed are the poor. Uh, and and uh, some have said that, therefore, what Jesus is saying here is simply a financial situation. We'll see that it is, it is clearly not that. In fact, you can be poor and be very much embittered in heart. Far from the kingdom at all. 
But we want to look at Jesus for just a moment because he shows us something about what it means to be destitute. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He is out of phase with the power structures of the world. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. He has a hum- he had a humble birth, and people, there is no way you can make the stable not stink. He had a humble, smelly birth, and he ultimately was rejected by people and rejected by the Father as he was alone on the cross. That's something of what it means to be poor in spirit. It is, it is a matter um, of... of, of For Christians to be poor in spirit, you have to turn your back on those ways that the world seeks to admire things and people. You turn your back on the world's value system, and you will no longer be trying to suck life out of the world, gain esteem and approval and to fit in. Being poor in spirit says you are set free from that course of events. Really what it's getting at then is you have no resources within yourself. That's it. You have no resources within yourself. You are spiritually bankrupt. And, significantly, you know it. The Spirit has worked in you such that you are aware that you are spiritually bankrupt. And we can go no better place than the two men in the temple um, who reveal their hearts simply perfectly. One was very self-assured, and he loved making comparisons. The Pharisee loved making comparisons between himself and other people. And, and the way he was able to look at his choices and the lives of other people, he seemed to, seemed to celebrate those things he thought he did well, and, and perhaps overlooking many things that he did not do well. But that's the danger of comparison. He loved making comparisons. And this is the terrifying part of it. He actually felt safe before God. In doing so, could there be any better description of someone who is self-assured and arrogant and presuming to be saved before God? The publican, in fact, was poor in spirit. He didn't even see anyone else. Just God. And the words out of his mouth, God be merciful. simply can't save yourself or live in your own strength. You are destitute. Uh, you have no resources in and of yourself. And people, that is an uncomfortable place to be. We don't like that. The, the natural human desire is to outgrow our spiritual poverty. Uh, to get to the point where we don't need to need God that much. We can be uncomfortable with being needy. And that is part of our flesh that resists this first, this first parable. I don't want to be that poor. Now, it's not as brazen as the Pharisee. Uh, but we, we don't think we need the blood of Jesus quite as much as we do. Or if we think we need the blood of Jesus, we're not getting it like we want to. If there's, a, there's a mixture there. We don't uh, think we um, need God's wisdom very much, so we don't ask for it. We don't think we need God's power very much, precisely because we're rarely asking the Spirit to do things that we can't do in and of ourselves. 
So we live sort of at a low level without expecting much, much uh, answered prayer to enable us to behold the Spirit of God and the, and the glory of God at work. So we're oftentimes not destitute. We're not destitute, so we don't pray desperate prayers. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, there is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. There is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. If you are not poor in spirit, you are not in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be destitute then. Devoid of spiritual resources, which leaves you in the second place to be very dependent. Okay, well now what? What do I do? We live in dependence upon God. We don't have those spiritual resources in ourselves, and so there are multiple places in the scriptures that we can go to describe that condition. And Psalm 34 comes to mind. Psalm 34, I'll read verses 4 and 6 and 18 out of this psalm. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Fearful. Fearful. But I'm seeking the Lord. I'm looking to him. Circumstances of my life seem out of control, but I'm looking to him. Verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. That is the, that is the kingdom citizen having come out of being destitute and dependent upon God and being met by the Spirit who encircles you, who encamps around you, who delivers you, who saves you, because the Lord has heard your, your cry. And, and look with me at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. What a great place to be. What a great place to be. Brokenhearted and rescued. Crushed and recovered. We are dependent. We are dependent. How does Jesus show this dependence? Well, first, first, can you imagine if, if you're speaking with a third, perhaps you have a 30-year-old friend, and uh, you're, you're wanting this person to help you with the project, you're wanting this person to maybe give you some ideas for some work that you're doing, and so you ask this person to help you, and, and he says to you this, well, I don't know, I'll have to go home and ask my father about it. And you might think, well, that's a little strange, that's someone who's pretty insecure, uh, that's someone who's pretty indecisive. And you might want to say, kind of grow up. What's your problem is you're immature. Because he needed his father's input so much. Jesus uh, was so depend that dependent on the father so that he was the most mature and the most fearless person that ever lived. Let me say that again. Because of his dependence on the Father, far from being fearful, he was the most fearless person ever. Far from being immature, he was the most mature person ever because he lived in dependence on the Father. He would often withdraw from the noise and distraction and from people who were always wanting to shove him off course. 
always wanting to get away from that idea of the cross. Make yourself available as a king now, shoving him away from the path of suffering. But he would isolate with God so that he could stand for God. He would isolate with God so that he could stand for God. And he prays, the gospel record indicates, he prays far more than we think he should, being God. I can do nothing on my own, John, John 5. I speak just as the Father taught me. That depended on the Father, John 8. John 12, the Father commanded me, listen to this, what to say and how to say it. At every point, everything he did, everything he spoke, even the way that he spoke, was all in conscious dependence upon the direction and his relationship of dependence on the Father. One commentator put it this way. It's amazing, amazing to me. He prayed so much for our example, but he didn't need to himself. He prayed just for our example, but he didn't need it. What kind of a strange, duplicitous Christ would that be? Of course he did. He was the most dependent person ever, and therefore the most obedient. So as we, as we are moving in this direction of being poor in spirit, being, of recognizing that we're destitute, recognizing our greater dependence of God, on God, there are going to certainly, certain things are going to show up in our lives. And, and one thing is that we're going to have regular times to pray. We, we will pray spontaneously throughout the day. We will pray just as we're going along our day. Lord, help me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm scared, intimidated. Um, I feel like I'm in danger, whatever it might be. You're praying for the Lord's presence daily, daily and hourly and moment by moment. But you are also making a commitment, even as Jesus did, to, to get out of the normal, normal uh, uh, schedule of events and make regular time to pray to the Lord. You're showing your children how to do that, parents. Children, you are carving out that time for yourself with the Lord as well. You are wanting mom and dad to pray with me when you're this big. And as you get older, you will be praying. I, I pray that you will be praying independence upon the Lord yourself. As you develop that sense of dependence yourself, you will, all of us, be praying more naturally, like breathing. You don't need to do it in the sense that you have to force yourself to do it. You need to do it rather even, and don't need to be told to do it. Paul Miller puts it this way. You do not need self-discipline to pray continuously. You do not need self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in spirit. Desperate. Dependent, destitute. Well, what else are you going to do? Going to pray. So as we grow and our character is changing in this area of being destitute and being dependent, we are getting more comfortable in that position, and we're getting more comfortable with the absolutely um, categorical statement that Jesus makes in John 15. Apart from me, you can only do a few significant things. 
So you're on your own most, much of the time. Is that what he said? Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing of value. Nothing. Everything through union with Christ and the power of the Spirit. Everything. Or it's dust. And here's the great thing about it. No matter how, how lousy you might feel about yourself, Jesus always welcomes you to be that destitute and that dependent. Have you ever felt you don't measure up even to being able to pray? Have you ever felt that way? That is, that is a complete flipping of the gospel. <laughs> when we're not qualified, well, that's what qualifies us, to flee to Jesus. And then, blessed is this person with the kingdom of heaven. All of the blessings of the Beatitudes, I, 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 I'll put it this way. Most of the blessings of the Beatitude come in, uh, in two stages. We get part of it now, and we get the rest of it later. Um, we get a part of the... We get, uh, we, we, get into, we, uh, we get into the kingdom, but we do not yet see it fully displayed. Um, and, and so it is. Listen, listen to this. Thinking about the blessed are those who mourn. Now, listen carefully. Now... Those who mourn have their tears placed in a bottle by God where he can preserve them and see them and have compassion on us. The psalm says that God puts your tears in a bottle. I mean, that's amazing. You are heard. (laughs) The Father is compassionate for you. He comes alongside you. But what if Revelation is? What we're waiting for is the time where God himself will bend down and he will wipe those tears off our face. You have great blessings. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. But do you see the comfort of God coming in stages? Think, think also of those, uh, of those who um, are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They will be satisfied. How blessing, how much of a blessing it is to, in the course of obedience to the Lord, we receive that, we receive that satisfaction in, in doing the right thing. God, by His Spirit, works it in us, and we, we just thank the Lord for His grace and for His power. And, and that's a blessing. But, but consider the blessing now. Uh, of, of having never-ending joy. First John 3, never-ending joy because now you have come to see Jesus face to face and because you see him, you have become like him for you have seen him as he is. Now those acts of obedience aren't merely episodic or periodic, but it is a steady lifestyle in and out. What glorious satisfaction that will be. For which we long, am I right? For which we long. The happiness and the blessedness um, that we are promised here um, is not the same thing as the world's approval 
uh, and gaining honor or pleasure or prestige or wealth or all of those measurable things that the world gives to us. It is instead being able, with the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You can be blessed and distressed at the same time. Do you hear me? You can be blessed and distressed because you look ahead past today's troubles or happiness, whatever they are, and you see um, the kingdom that is coming. Well, two things, finally, I want to describe. What is the kingdom? How do we experience the kingdom? What, what is the blessing that we're, we're receiving? And, and two things, life and loyalty. Two things, life and loyalty characterize the gifts of this kingdom. We get life. Uh, whoever hears and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come under judgment, but has crossed over from death to life. Whoever believes in me will not be condemned. Um, he has crossed over from death to life. And I sort of was thinking about that. You know, you come, you come into the kingdom and you're, you're crossing a line uh, into God's kingdom and God's, and God's presence and power. And, and we sometimes think that we can sort of slip back over the line, don't we? Well, sometimes you might think you can. But no, you have crossed over once and forever into the kingdom. You, have ne- you are now life. You are now in, uh, uh, you are living uh, in the kingdom, and the kingdom is living in you. That's the question you must answer today, everyone in my hearing. Have you crossed over from death to life through faith in Christ? And then listen to this promise, this blessing that Jesus gives to us. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the offer. That's the offer of the kingdom. You have life from Christ. The second thing is you have loyalty to Christ. I I noticed, um, listen to this this oath that uh, people who want to become citizens in the United States have to sign off on. Um, becoming a, becoming a, a citizen in the U.S. is a lot more than just learning how to drive on the right side of the road. Okay, It's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, a little more all-encompassing than that. But listen to this. This is what people own to, this is what people declare. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or of which um, I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. That I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, dot, 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 then so help me God. There is a loyalty to the kingdom of which you now are members. It means following Christ. When it's hard, following Christ. When you're not being commended by other people, following Christ. Loyalty to him. Well, you're in the kingdom. If you come to Jesus by faith, you're in in the kingdom. And that means several things. It means you're destitute. It means you are dependent. It means that Jesus welcomes you to himself every day as you pray. 
And you are also uh, living that life in loyalty to Christ. You've got the kingdom. The Spirit gives life. And the Spirit works in you, that loyalty to Jesus. Let's praise God together. We magnify you, Lord, for your this comprehensive blessing that we receive as we are poor in spirit, to be in your kingdom. And we pray, O oh God, that you would help us. Help us. Um, answer our prayers when we want to see the Spirit's work in us. And we want to see greater expressions of joy and thanksgiving and obedience and love and tenderness. And so we thank you that you will not leave us behind. In the name of Jesus we pray.